Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Would you put your hands together, stand to your feet, welcome with me, Pastor Eddie Rents. Thank you so much. I, I just want to say that I don't know how much you prayed or how hard you prayed to get Pastor Dan as your pastor, but God must love you a whole lot to give you Pastor Dan. I'm not kidding. This guy is uh, he's a man of God. He's a great leader. He's a phenomenal communicator. There's a lot of pressure on me today because... You guys have one of the best already, and, um, and I, just, I, I just am so thrilled because God has done so many amazing things through his life, through his family's life. Man, you guys, God just thinks a lot of you to give you him, to be your pastor. And of course, you have an, a phenomenal team that has just been serving and coming alongside what's been happening and I, I just got to tell you, I'm so honored to be able to spend a couple moments with you and to say thank you first. Thank you on behalf of Hal Donaldson and Convoy of Hope. Thank you for your generosity and your willingness to help the hurting, the hungry, those that are in desperate need. Because your life and your generosity is making a difference. And I, I want to tell you thank you so much. I, I just returned from Puerto Rico And as you have read in the papers, Puerto Rico is as bad as they're writing about, maybe worse. As I stood there in that, in San Juan, I could not believe that still in a country that 80% of electricity is still not working, that there are homes that do not have any power at all. One gentleman I know in ministry particularly has not had power in his home almost for uh, six weeks and longer because there's no power that's there. People have left, over 78,000 people have already left Puerto Rico and they're continuing to try to get out as quickly as they can because if there's no power, there's no jobs. If there's no jobs, there's no income. And you can understand moms, dads, grandmas and grandpas, how important it is to take care of your family. How important it is to provide for those that you love. And when you don't have hope, what do you do? How do you deal with what's going on? But I can tell you this, hope has arrived. Convoy of Hope has been there and we have already we have already provided 1.2 million meals right now in Puerto Rico. And we have we just had several containers arrive with emergency supplies. You see, water is incredibly important. Because if you don't have clean water, you get diseases. And in Puerto Rico, in several of the regions, there are still people who have died that have not yet been removed from the water system, and it's contaminating the water. People are catching diseases. They're doing their laundry where the water systems run into their families. And that's why we must respond as quickly as we can in order to help those victims. We're also providing food and hygiene kits to keep people healthy. 
And you have no idea. Your generosity is making a difference. Just in the hurricane, Harvey, one gentleman showed up at one of our events. And he had been almost a week without fresh water. He had some bottled water. They ran out of it. But they ran out of food. And the man became desperate to provide for his family. So here was a good man that decided he was going to do something bad to help his family. What would you do? Your kids are crying every day. They're hungry. They don't have food to eat. What would you do when you become desperate? And this gentleman said, I'm going to break into a home or I'm going to rob somebody because I want to take care of my family. And as he was on his way with bad intentions for a good reason, somebody told him that there was a church not far from there That if he got there, there was a group called Convoy of Hope that was giving away free emergency supplies. When the gentleman arrived, he burst out in tears. The pastor greeted him and and hugged him. And the man began to recall his story. And the pastor wept with that man. And right there, he led him to Jesus Christ. And God did a work in his life. Because desperation makes people do crazy things. And there are a lot of desperate people around the world today. There are a lot of hurting people today that don't wake up every day with what we have. They don't experience what we have. 60% of those that are in Puerto Rico right now live under the poverty line before the earthquake hit. And now you can imagine how difficult it is. Nowhere to go. They can't get off the island. They don't have the resources. And that's why church... That's when the light of Jesus shines the brightest. This is not the time to hide our head and to get in a corner and say, oh, those poor people. This is the time to be the church and rise up and let the goodness of God shine brightly in the world in which we live. God is going to do amazing things in the lives of people. And so I am so honored to be here. Let me show you a quick video And it's just an update of of Puerto Rico. And then I'm going to preach to you about fight. I'm going to talk to you about getting your fight. So roll that for us real quickly. Hi, this is Hal Donaldson of the Convoy of Hope. And I'm coming to you from outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico, where Hurricane Maria devastated this island. Today we had the opportunity just to tour the island and to see the devastation. It is widespread. I have seen disasters across the United States and around the world. It's one of the worst I've ever seen. Uh, Today we saw car after car, a mile long, in line, waiting for gas, people waiting for food, and also just trying to get through roads that were flooded. Uh, The need here is so significant. And we have to help our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. Our commitment to you is that we're going to do everything we can in partnership with you and the churches right here on the island to make sure they get the help they need. So God bless you. Thank you again for all you've done to help us respond to the need in Texas and Florida, across the Caribbean, and now even in Mexico. Uh, This is made possible because of friends like you, churches like yours, that have been willing to step up and do something so significant. This is an hour we can just link arms to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. So God bless you. Thank you so much for all you've done. 
Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I like to start off at times with something funny, and I came across this. You'll pick it up really easily. It's called When and Then the Fight Started. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's simple to follow. My wife was hinting about what she wanted on our upcoming anniversary. She said, I want something shiny that goes from zero to 150 in less than three seconds. So I bought her a scale. And then the fight started. When I got home last night, my wife demanded that I take her someplace expensive. So I took her to a gas station. And then the fight started. My wife and I were sitting at a table at a high school reunion, at my high school reunion. And I kept staring at the drunken lady who, was, who, who sat there with her drink alone at a nearby table. My wife said, do you know her? Yes, sadly, I sighed. She's my old girlfriend. And I understand that she took to drinking right after we split up all those many years ago. And I heard she hasn't been sober since. You're kidding, said my wife. Who would think that a person could go on celebrating that long? (laughs) And then the fight started. I asked my wife, where do you want to go on our anniversary? It warmed my heart to see her face melt in sweet appreciation. Somewhere I haven't been in a long time, she said. So I suggested, how about the kitchen? (laughs) And then the fight started. I just want to say that's not my life or I wouldn't be standing here right now. I've been married 26 years. I have three adult children. I married my oldest one just recently. She works for K-Love Air One Station. She's getting her master's in digital marketing. My middle daughter is at Yale Divinity. She's getting her master's. And my son is a senior in college, and he's graduating in the, uh, in the spring as a Bible theology major and a business major. And my wife is the COO of that college. My claim to fame is I'm Judy's husband, so... I'm blessed with that. I just want to say that when you focus on hurting people, when you focus on people that desperately are in need, you're picking a fight with the enemy. The enemy does not care how much you sing, dance, celebrate, gather around the front of this altar, pray for one another, as long as you keep it inside these four walls. He doesn't care how much you celebrate and talk about how amazing Jesus is and how much he's changed my life and how incredible God really is as long as it stays here. And unfortunately, church, we have too many churches that are just about themselves. They're just about celebrating and talking about how good God is and God has a plan for your life and God can change your life and God can do amazing things and and we hoop and holler and cheer one of us, each other on. But the moment we walk outside, we feel the intensity of a war. It's not flesh and blood. It's not those that we can see around us. It's not those that are maybe a party of the elephant or party of the donkey. But it's rather those that oppose the kingdom, the kingdom of God that is trying to reach those that are 
in this world. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of that power. They're in a room together. They're praying. They're seeking God. And and all of a sudden, after days of seeking God, the Holy Spirit shows up. The Bible tells us tongues of fire appeared on them. They begin to speak in other languages. People were astonished because they heard about God in their own language. They walk outside. Peter preaches a a message that literally rocks that community. 3,000 people come to Christ. The church is born. We see how that visitation happens. And and you don't see the church after that huddle away or hide away. Because God never gives the Holy Spirit just to feel better. God gives the Holy Spirit to make a difference. To make a difference personally in your own life. You see, the Holy Spirit gives you power over sin. Power over frustration. Power over anger. Power over bitterness. Power over things that we deal with every single day. He gives you power to be a better spouse. Power to be a better better business leader. Power to be a better student. Power to be a better person. Because Christ now lives within you. And he gives you authority. Acts chapter 2 though. They go out into the marketplace. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 42. How the church began to operate following those moments. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Verse 45. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily... Those who were being saved. You say, Pastor Eddie, why in the world would you read this portion of Scripture? And what does it have to do with Christian Life Center? I think it has everything to do with the church. You know why? Because if you want to find out the intent that Jesus had, you go back to the days that were closest to him to say, what is it God is saying and how does he want us to be as Christ followers? You see, my desire, church, is yes, I want to be a a great husband and I want to be a great father and I want to make a difference around those that, that know me that I can add value to their life. But more importantly, I want to see people that never have known Christ come to Jesus. I want to see people that have never experienced him. So how can the church truly do this? Because for most of us, we sit here and we think, well, I can't do what Pastor Dan does. You see, Pastor Eddie, I can't go out there and preach a message. I don't have that gifting. I don't have that ability. So how do I fit with what God wants? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, the pattern that God gives us, I think, is a pattern that the church as individuals... You see, the church is not a building. The church is you. 
You are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't dwell in buildings. He dwells in people. And everywhere you go, God is in you. That's why you should not be afraid of the enemy, but you should be giving the devil a nervous breakdown. Don't you dare be afraid of demons or powers or anything else. You know why? Because you have the creator of the universe on the inside of you. And all his authority has been restored back to the church as individuals and corporately. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You're saying, Pastor Eddie, you're getting a little bit excited right now. I'm sorry if I get a little rambunctious. But when you come out of drugs and alcohol, when you come out of a family where two dads have committed adultery, where a father committed suicide, where you were molested at six years old in a portable bathroom by a construction worker, and you live with such anger and bitterness and and hatred in your heart, and then you encounter Jesus Christ for real, it changes your life. It makes a difference in who you are. That's why I speak the way I do. You know why? Because I know where I've come from. A man who couldn't stop what he was doing. Who was bound and now is free. Because of Christ. I want every person to know that. So what's the pattern? You guys are rowdy, so I got, don't get me sidetracked here. Because I can go on all kinds of rabbit trails. But I'm going to stay focused. Because I believe God gave me a word for you today. Because I believe, church, that we have lost our fight for souls in the world. I believe that we have compassion and kindness fatigue. It's not intentional, but sometimes you're so bombarded by everything going on that it's easy to become worn down and start becoming numb. So what can we do? What can you do? Here's the pattern. Good deeds led to goodwill, which led to an openness to the good news. Good deeds led to goodwill, which led to an openness to the good news. You see, there are many times that we want to preach before we meet needs. There are many times we want to tell people about Jesus when really what they need is not a sermon. They need you to meet their need. The Bible tells us that they sold what they have. They gave to those that were in need and goodwill spread among uh, among the people. They had favor and then they had an openness to the good news. God shows, God calls the church to show his kindness and compassion and no matter if we can preach Jesus at the moment. You know why? Because some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. Let me put it another way. Are you still with me so far? The Haitians have a, a, a saying in their culture, and it's this. An empty stomach has no ears. In other words, I don't care what you have to say if you don't meet my hunger pains. If you don't meet my need, I can't see my need for Jesus. And too many times, church, we think that God spiritually wants us to just preach 
When the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, when Luke wrote to Theophilus, he said, he said, I'm sharing with you the things that Jesus began to do and then teach. You see, doing precedes teaching. Living it precedes talking about it. Because what good is it if I'm not living it to say anything about it? Dr. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Jesus, listen, Jesus was moved with compassion. There's a difference between pity and compassion, isn't there? Pity sees the need and feels bad. But pity doesn't do anything. You know what I'm talking about. You turn on the TV, you see the needs of what's going on, you see how bad it is, and you go, I feel really terrible about what's happening. But pity doesn't do something. And the world doesn't need your pity, church. They need your compassion. (laughs) Compassion is when you get up and you do something. Where you do something, you meet a need, you touch a a life. Jesus moved with compassion, healed the leper. Jesus moved with compassion, responds to the cries of the blind man. Jesus moved with compassion, feeds the 5,000 because he knows they're not going to make it home. Compassion and kindness does something. You see, the enemy wants you to lose your fight. To believe that you can't make a difference by doing something And so we do nothing. The poor, the hurting, the hunger need your compassion. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that the difference between those that entered his kingdom and didn't were those that visited those in prison who clothed the naked, who fed the hungry. They saw the need and did something. Luke chapter 12. Interesting portion of scripture. Look what it says. It says he told them a parable that the ground of a, a ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, "What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops." Then he said, "This is what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones, and then I'll store my surplus again." How many know there's nothing wrong with that, unless it's just that that's your priority. That if I'm the focus and I'm the priority, then there's a problem. Because look what it says. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you have prepared for. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be to whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You see, many churches see fulfilling the Great Commission as just preaching. Don't get me wrong, we need to preach the gospel. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Church, do you know that God wants you to do good deeds? We think that that's not spiritual. That really, if we're spiritual, we're casting out demons. If we're really spiritual, then we're healing the sick. If we're really spiritual, we're opening blind eyes or we're opening deaf ears. But church, maybe our definition is not fully correct. I was traveling, and as I was driving, there were two hitchhikers on the side of the road. And 
I don't pick up hitchhikers generally because you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates, right? I pulled over the side of the road, and there were two gentlemen with suitcases. They climbed inside. They had not bathed for at least several days, and it was hot outside, so I had to run the air conditioning. It was the first time I ever asked God to give me a cold, so I couldn't breathe. They were chipping the paint in my car. It was just not good. George and the Space cadet, we'll call him, because he was the weirdest guy I've ever met in my life. He was in the cosmos fighting battles I've never even heard of. And they got in the car, and I began to try to strike up a conversation with them. And then I turned it towards God, and George instantly reacted hostile. He got very angry. The space cowboy started talking about gods I never heard of. So I was like, okay, God, this is not working right now. What do I do? And the Holy Spirit said, ask them if they're hungry. George, space guy, have you guys had anything to eat? Are you hungry? And they said, we haven't eaten for three days. God said, go take them, go get them something to eat. So I pulled in, I bought them, said, order up. And they ordered up and we ate. And every time I stopped to get gas... I asked them if they were hungry, and they would always get something. And as we went further down the road, I asked them, hey, do you know where you're going to stay tonight? Because I need to drop you guys off. They said, we don't have any place. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, put them up tonight. I said, God, this is getting expensive. <laughs> I said, put them up tonight. I said, guys, you're going to stay with me. Not in the same room. I'm going to get you your own room. You might be an axe murderer. I don't know. But I'm going to get you a room. And as we got there, I looked at them and I said, guys, we're going to go eat together tonight, but go shower. Go ahead and shower. And George looked at me. Never forget. He said, I don't have any other clothes than what I'm wearing. I have just have an empty suitcase because people don't pick up people that don't have suitcases. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. (laughs) You can say whatever you want about Kmart, but I thank God for the blue light special. I mean, I am like all in when it comes to. And so George, I said, come on, man. And I bought him underwear and jeans and socks and all this stuff. And, And George is pushing the cart and he's shaking his head the whole time going, why are you doing this, man? Because no one's ever done this for me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I just began to just love on George. And and we got back to the hotel. George, shower. (laughs) George showered. And we met for a steak dinner that night. And as we sat around the table, the conversation turned to Jesus. And right there at the table, George looked at me and he said, Eddie, I'm going to tell you why I didn't want to hear about God. You see, I just got out of prison. And I thought, dear Father in heaven. (laughs) He said, I got out of prison and I was there because I lost my job and I couldn't get another job. And I had a girlfriend that was pregnant and I needed to take care of her and and nothing was working. Nothing was happening. And I I, I decided that I was going to start writing bad checks. I was going to start to do whatever I could. You see, I went to the church and said, can you help me? And they said to me, 
We don't help your kind. And he said, I had no other choice, Eddie. What was I going to do? And George was arrested. He spent a little bit of time in prison. When he got out, the baby had been born, but his girlfriend had vanished. And George was by himself, angry, bitter, mad at God and mad at the church. But then he looked at me across the table and he said, Eddie, because of what you've done, I now believe in the Jesus you're talking about. You see, I don't say that to build myself up, church, because I almost missed it. It wasn't that I'm trying to make myself look so spiritual, but you've got to understand that this world is without hope. They don't have hope today. Your neighbors, those that are around you at your job, people don't have hope today. In fact, the Bible says hope delayed makes the heart sick. And when people lose hope in their future, things begin to change. You see, when a spouse loses hope in in their marriage, they give up. When parents lose hope in their children, they give up being good parents. Despair replaces joy. Fear replaces faith. Anxiety replaces prayer. Insecurity replaces confidence. You see, when people lose their hope, they stop dreaming, they stop believing, and eventually they give up on their life. You can go 40 days without eating. You can go three days without water. You can go eight minutes without air, but you can't go a single second without hope. When you lose hope, life begins to change. And I've been to places where there's no hope. I've stared in the eyes of people that were starving to death, that didn't know if they were going to have another meal the next day. I've looked into the eyes of Nicaraguan children that had been locked up and just kept in prison and that were dying from starvation. I've been in India where I've seen poverty at its worst. I've been places where people have lost hope and you see it all over them. They desperately need help. 10 million children will starve to death or die from a lack of food, nutritious food or clean water. That's 192,000 a week, 28,000 a day, 458 an hour, eight a minute will die. And the thing is, church, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a hurricane. That's not an earthquake. That's something we can do something about. But church, the enemy's trying to get us to have compassion fatigue, thinking it won't make a difference and it won't change anybody. And my friend, I want you to know something. It will. He wants you afraid and reserved and withdrawn and thinking, I don't have the right words, Pastor Eddie. I can't do it. But you don't need the right words. You just need to meet needs. You just need to reach out. In fact, the Bible even says this. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, I'll give you a reward for that. You see, you're not doing it for just yourself. You're doing it to show people that they are in the image of God and that they matter and that they're important and that God values them. And it doesn't take much to give just a cup of cold water. It doesn't take much to buy a cup of coffee for someone right behind you. It doesn't take much to go next door and maybe most a lawn or edge a lawn or do something to say I just want you to know that I value you 
when you say yes and you start reaching out, you advance the kingdom. We're not here for ourselves, church. We're here for a world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Church, too many times the world knows what we're against, but they don't know what we're for. They know we don't approve of certain things, and they go, then I'm not valuable because I've done those things and I can't quit those things. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure, faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Listen, we work with FEMA. We're, whenever there's a disaster, FEMA calls Red Cross. They call Convoy of Hope. We're in the top five by the government calling us to respond but I want you to know something. As, as much as I thank God for FEMA, God didn't call FEMA to take care of widows and orphans. God didn't call FEMA to take care of the hurting and the broken and the lost. He told the church to do that. You see, the church is called to go to the prisons. The church are called to feed the hungry. The church are called to clothe the naked. The church are called to be good neighbors. The church are called to do good deeds. Listen, I'm going to make you really mad. So get ready. You didn't come to church today for your comfort. You're not here today for your comfort. You know why you're here? For your development. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't come to soak in. We come so that we can serve out. So that we can get filled up and become more like Jesus. And reach out to those that desperately need him. I want you to know something. You are a sermon. Do you know that your life is a sermon? Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sermon. You are a sermon. Look at the one you don't like as much and say, you're a sermon. I don't like what you're preaching, but you're a sermon. You see, every day you preach a message. You know that? When your business associates look at you, you're preaching a message. When the people on your campus see you, you're preaching a message. You are a sermon, your life. My question to you is, what are you preaching? Too many people are preaching anger and bitterness and gossip and worry and criticism and fear, apathy, judgment. They're preaching all these things. But Plato said these words, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle than you. If you care about God's business, I can promise you this. He will care about yours. If you care about people, you have his attention. You say, I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to show you a verse that could change your life. How many like to have God answer more of your prayers? I mean, seriously, how many like to see more prayers answered in your life? Let me show you how. Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poors, poor, he too will cry out, and what? Not be answered. Could it be that maybe we're not seeing the kind of response from heaven that we ought to see? Not because God's angry with us. Not because God doesn't love us. But because we don't have his priorities. 
You see, when I care about the poor, the Bible says, I lend to the Lord and he will repay me. How many like God to pay you back? I guarantee you his payments are better than your payments to the bank or to your friends. How many know that? He gives better interest payments. He gives better principal payments than you could. Worship team, would you come? I got to finish. Some of you are going, praise God. Thank you, God. I want Pastor Dan back. (laughs) But I want you to know I love you. I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to stir you, to challenge you for something more. You see, the enemy wants you to live here, but God's calling you here. And when you start moving here, the adventure of your life changes dramatically. All of a sudden, you have joy because you have purpose. See, your purpose is bigger than just paying your bills, being a good parent, being a good spouse. Being a good employee, God has a bigger purpose. And that's to do good deeds so that good will will happen. And they'll be open to the good news. My wife and I went to Stockholm, Sweden by invitation of a pastor there. As you guys know, Um, you've read the papers, that there's been a huge influx of refugees all around the world. Most of them are coming out of Syria and Iran and other places. They're getting out. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, your days are numbered. They torture, they murder. And so people are running, wouldn't you? If my kids were going to be subjected to that, wouldn't you run? And they've gone all over Europe. In fact, there's been a a real issue with it because the refugees don't have anything. Four million have left. Four million. And they go to all these different places. And one of those is Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, Sweden has a socialistic mentality where they pay for everything. Pay for daycare. They pay your health they pay every, i mean they they cover about everything pay high taxes but they take care of you when the refugees came 150,000 of them came to sweden that's a lot of refugees when i was there it, when they got on the train you should have seen the discomfort that were on the faces of the swedish people because in that train were people begging they're playing music asking for money they were trying to get something And they're not used to that. They haven't had beggars. They haven't had people that are desperate like that. So they don't know how to handle it. The church heard about a hotel that had Syrian refugees that the government had given them this hotel to live in. There was probably over a thousand of them living at this hotel. And they said, we've got to do something. We can't touch all of them, but we can at least do something here. And so they begin to say, what do we do? We don't want to just go in and preach because see, many of them are Muslim. You see, they were running too because if you weren't radical enough, you were killed as well. So they went to the hotel and they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do good deeds. So they showed up and they gave free Manny and Petties. How many women would love that? I mean, I mean, come on. 
I go broke from those, from my wife. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, you know I mean, that's just, they did free manis, petties. They did, they taught them the culture. They taught them the language. In fact, when we were there, I saw one young girl that was 10 years old. She spoke seven languages. Seven. They would, one would interpret this, then she would interpret two other languages. And they were helping them to integrate into the Swedish culture. All they would do is bake goods and bring them over there and give them for free. They just did everything they could to do good deeds. And in the process, they started getting goodwill. People started going, why are you doing this? Which opened the door to a, a gathering at night where they could answer questions and talk about Jesus. And so people started getting saved because good deeds led to goodwill, which led to an openness to the good news. And so I met Pastor Johannes, and he said, would Convoy like to do something to help? I said, absolutely. Judy and I flew over there. They threw a Christmas party. Thousand refugees put on their best clothes that they had. They put the lights, they rolled a red carpet out, they took pictures like they were celebrities. I mean, they did it up. It was just so much fun. Then they had a whole program, and then I got to speak. Convoy provided the food and the toys for the children. And I got to tell the Christmas story. As I was speaking, my interpreter was from Iran. He was a Muslim guy who was from Iran, and he... He had been a Muslim all his life, prayed to Allah five times a day, facing east. And he had gotten out, but he couldn't get his family out. So every day, five times a day, he asked Allah to get his family out of Iran, but nothing happened. After two years, finally he went to the pastor and said, Pastor, I hear you talk all the time about how Jesus answers prayers. I prayed to Allah all my life. I've never seen him answer one prayer. Would you pray to Jesus for me? ask him to get my family out seven days later his family got visas and got into Sweden so he's my interpreter he gets born again he's excited about God he's interpreting and he's weeping as I'm telling the Christmas story at the end I gave a salvation message well over half for the first time ever in their life, not only heard the Christmas story, but gave their heart to Jesus Christ. You know why? Good deeds led to goodwill, which led to an openness to the good news. What if we started a kindness and compassion revolution where we just started looking for needs to meet so that people will start having goodwill so they will be open to the good news? I believe, church, your best days are not behind you. They're just up ahead. The question is, will you, will you not let the enemy lie to you and fatigue you with compassion fatigue and realize that you don't have to be a good communicator. You just have to be a good lover of people to do something kind and good. And if you do, I believe we could shake up this whole community with the love of God. Because good deeds lead to goodwill, which leads to an openness to the good news. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.